Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 134 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast, brought to you by Just Thrive Probiotic. I'm Dana. And I'm Tiffany, and we'll be your hosts for today. Good Yay. morning. Hi. How are you? I'm doing I know fabulous. you're giggly. I know you're this, giggly because I'm giggly. On this sunny <laughs> Joshua Tree day, sunny and cool. Good. 60 degrees. How about you? We got some snow Hi. yesterday, yes? We did. We got some snow, and it's sunny and beautiful here uh, again after the snow. I wanted it to stay snowy for at least, you know, a day, but we get sun right after, so that's just the way it works here. I shouldn't complain. It's beautiful. And I'm doing well because last week we just launched thyroidrefresh.com. So exciting. We had such a great day. Tiffany, you were so amazing. Such a great support that day. We got a phenomenal turnout and everything is just jiving right along. So check it out, thyroidrefresh.com. It is a membership site, but we do have lots of free content if you're not interested in becoming a member. But it is a single-digit price and we offer lots of goodies. So go check it out. Lots of goodies, lots mm-hmm. of goodies, lots of unlocked articles and stuff like that. And like you said, lots of free articles. It's awesome. It's a beautiful site. So very excited for you and Jenny. It's a, it's an, an amazing resource for thyroid patients, I think. And it's well, pretty. Really, thank you. Well, really quick, <laughs> one of the main things uplifting. we wanted to do, one of the main things we wanted to do is take the overwhelm out. So we kind of hold your hand. We kind of spoon feed information to you and uh, give you like uh, kind of like a map, you know, so we're working on we have some the beginners bundle, which is a free bundle. You can go check that out. Tiffany's articles in that as well. Uh, Thank you for that, Tiff. And um, but we're working on some other bundles and basically the bundles take you from, you know, where you're at right now, not feeling so good to hopefully where you want to be and kind of hold your hand. So that's really what we we set out to do was to take out the overwhelm. There's just so much information out there. And we I like to, that. Take out the overwhelm. Yeah, we wanted to, I to like that. hold your hand through all this thyroid, uh, you know, information that's out there. So that's that's the site. But today we are talking with, oh, yay, finally I get to talk to him, research microbiologist and chief science officer at Microbiome Labs, Karan Krishnan, about immune dysfunction, inflammation, and autoimmune disease, and really about a bunch of stuff, but that's just what I put in the title because it was short and pretty. <laughs> We're just talking gut and microbiome today. Yeah, we have the, the experts, so right, exactly. We're the game's on. Let's just mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking about microbiome, uh, thank you so much to our sponsor, Thrive Probiotic. It is a spore-based, verified to survive gastric acid, and of course, we can ask Karen about so many of these questions because he helped develop this product. Gluten, dairy, sugar-free, non-GMO, proven to reduce endotoxins, which is huge. We're going to have him talk about that. Uh, Proven to reduce triglycerides and symptoms of leaky gut. So I think he is with us already. So let's get this thyroid nation thriving. Good morning. Hi, good morning. So great to be with you guys again. Thank you so much for having me. Well, before we get started, we are going to clear up this name issue. I know we asked last time, but I'm asking again, how do you say your first name? 
Uh, you said it perfectly right. You said Kieran, which is uh, which is the the proper way to say it. But some Kieran. people say Kieran, which is also okay. Um, <laughs> I respond to both. I'm just happy that people are calling me in any way at all. So. <laughs> I love that. Well, well I, it's nice to meet you. It's it's nice to meet you officially. Um, because I didn't yeah, get to be on the yeah. show with you. Um, you I mean, actually got right. to talk to Mary and Tiffany, right? So yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. I, it was amazing because the day that uh, you guys were talking, I flew out to meet my um, partner, co-founder for this new project I have, Thyroid Refresh. I was actually on the plane when you guys were doing the show, and now we oh, have launched. Oh, wow, that's right. Right. I forgot about so now we have have launched, so it's pretty kind of full circle. So I'm I'm really excited oh, to actually awesome. be the one to talk to you. Well, so, yeah, I'm, uh, it's pleasure is all mine, actually. Thank you. So thank you. Now, Karen, <sighs> where are you calling in from today? May we ask? I'm I am yeah, of course. I'm calling in from Chicago, uh, which is actually where I live in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, but I rarely find myself here. And, and in fact, I'm, I won't be here for very long. I'm taking off in about um, two hours, heading out to L.A. for a uh, microbiome conference in at UCLA, um, which is interesting. It's like a it's a French American microbiome symposium. Um, I'm, I'm speaking on Friday at the at the symposium on the work that we're doing, um, and and I don't know how this came about, but it involves all of these French officials, and and I guess the country of France is really dedicated to microbiome research, and they've partnered with UCLA to to bring more collaborative research between the two countries in this space. Um, and we were fortunate enough to be invited to attend and um, and talk about some of the work we're doing. So. It's it's quite global and exciting, all of this stuff, you know, and the microbiome is really feeding so much of the new research that's going on in, in the world out there today. No pun intended, That right? is so exciting. No <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> right? I thought that same thing when he said that. <laughs> oh, my God. We're simple mm-hmm. creatures, Karen. Mm-hmm. We are simple, simple creatures here mm-hmm. you're talking to that's today. That's the way to be. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Well, that sounds really exciting, Karen. Really exciting. I can't wait to hear all about it. It, it is, you know, and I, I love. Um, so this would be the, I think it's the third or fourth microbiome congress that I've been to this year already. Started starting with one in San Diego in January. Um, I was just at an animal microbiome one last week. Uh, and these oh, are wow. all different, you know. These are these are the they call them microbiome congresses because it's really a gathering of the of the leading researchers and companies in the space, and and everyone kind of shares what they're doing, and um, and then we look for collaborative opportunities and collaborative work. And every time I go to one of these, and there's about three or four of them a year, we learn something completely new, and you know the the discoveries become grander. Um, and the impact on people's lives become more profound. And it's just so exciting to think that the vast majority of chronic illnesses um, are really optional to the end of the day. You know, they they aren't um, a matter of poor genes necessarily. They aren't a matter of just bad luck. Um, The vast majority of them can be treated in an effective, safe manner. Uh, without having to be medicated for the rest of your life, and and that's really what we're what we're getting out of all of this. Um, so we're we're living in a very very exciting time, and I think the next 
three to five years are going to be, we're going to see some really amazing discoveries that change, that'll change everybody's life. Well, I have a question. I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to, you were talking about um, the Animal Microbiome Congress. Let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind, because I know that yeah. that um, uh, grass-fed animals, and when you look at the constituents and, and nutrients that actually exist in a grass-fed butter or Let's talk about the microbiome and how that affects these agriculture animals, which affects sure. us. Is that something that, that you would um, want to add something to? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's some great evidence of that, and I'll give you a practical thing that I, I learned. Um, I was in, in Spain uh, at the end of last year, and I was in the southern part of Spain, and I got a chance to go to one of those um, Iberian ham farms where they raise the, the Iberian ham, the famous Iberian ham. They, there's, uh, there's one called Pata Negra, which is like the highest quality of ham. Um, and they're raising pigs, essentially. Now, the, the huge distinction between how they raise those animals versus the pigs that are raised here in the U.S. is um, those animals – each pig is given a minimum of four acres of space, right? Now, they end up uh, living together in a family group because they are very social animals, but they have enough space to roam and, and feed like they naturally would in the outside environment. Those pigs end up eating almost 100% uh, of their diet are acorns, and that's what the pigs naturally like to eat. They're not being fed corn and all these kind of, you know, feeds, um, fortified feed systems and so on, they eat 100% acorns. Um, and, and when the pigs are slaughtered, the meat, which is really interesting, is 100% of the fat in the meat of those pigs are, are N3 and N6 polyunsaturated fatty acids, which means that they're like fish oil. Right, so they're the good wow. fats. Now, when you look at the fats that are in the American pigs, it's 100% saturated fat versus 100% non-saturated fat. They're still the same animal. The difference hmm. is what they were fed, right? And so the pigs in, in Spain are actually healthy to eat because, you know, even the American Heart Association, who tends to be way behind on a lot of, these sci- a lot of the signs, recommends a high intake of, um, N3 and N6, those are omega-3 and omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids. Even the American Heart Association recommends that, um, and they recommend reducing saturated fat intake. And, and so even by their standards, it would be recommended and beneficial for you to eat the uh, Spanish pigs and not eat the American pigs. And that's wow. completely based on what the animals fed. You know, wow. and so, so that, that's just that incredible itself, if you just think about that for just one second. That's like, I mean, for me, kind of mind-blowing. Let's go to Spain. I mean, really. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 you, and you notice that the, that the taste is different. And, you know, um, there's, of course, other things that they do. The, the slaughtering process is not a stressful process for those pigs. There's many things that they do to reduce and basically eliminate the stress, which we know that stress increases virulence of certain bacteria and viruses within the within the microbiome of the animal which actually increases the inflammation in the animal which can change the types of um, metabolites that we're getting from the meat itself um, you know when if the animal's being slaughtered or if it's raised in an inflammatory environment then that those inflammatory markers and inflammatory bioactives are present in the meat 
And when we eat that meat, it increases our inflammation, right? And so even simple things like how, um, you know, dairy cows in the U.S. have very, um, you know, small amounts of butyrate. Um, within their within the the fat that they produce the dairy fat or the butter or the uh, you know the ghee and things like that that you would make from the dairy cows in the U.S. Whereas if you look at you know parts of Northern Europe and 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 so on the the butyrate and the short chain fatty acid levels are really high in those dairy fats because those those animals are fed mostly grasses versus corn and you know other other types of supplemental feed. Um, so just as um, you know, how, how what we eat completely changes our microbiome and completely changes our health outcomes. That goes all the way down to the animals that we eat and what they eat, right? So they're not eating grasses. They're not getting microbes. They're not getting the beneficial bacteria from the environment. They're getting this kind of feed system that has been engineered, again, trying to outsmart nature and trying to increase growth and, and and so on and so yeah absolutely it impacts us quite dramatically all right Karen, we have a project thinking. for you oh, go well, ahead Dan. Yeah. before you say that because I, I love your idea Tiff I, um, she just chatted me her, her idea but I'm just sitting here thinking if I'm if I'm Kieran and I know all yeah. this stuff I'm really picky about what I eat <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's the problem right so that's the problem like, that that kind of knowledge is it can be a real detriment sometimes because I also travel. So I travel right. like 70% of the time and, and I travel a lot in the U S and I travel a lot internationally. And right. so I end up eating most of my meals outside and it becomes really difficult to try to figure right. out when you're at some random restaurant where the meat comes from and you know, what, what's, what it's, what's in it, where it was raised and so on. Um, so a lot of times I just have to, you know, make try to make the best choices and 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 then try to overcome the poor quality of food by using the right probiotics, by fasting, by taking in other supplements, and so on. Wow! Right? Yeah, We've I'm decided. just trying to wrap my brain around that because I've know, seen right? I've imagine. seen some of your pictures <laughs> and your flights and things of all the places you're going. You know, on Facebook, and I'm thinking now to myself, yeah. Holy moly! I never considered that. You're right. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I I've flown really... this, Go in ahead. the first three months of this year, I've flown 100,000 miles already. Oh, my you know, gosh. So, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm Now, not to go down a I different put... rabbit hole, but, but travel affects the microbiome as well, right? I mean, you're affecting your sleep yes. and your circadian rhythm and all these different things. I mean, uh, that really says a lot for the probiotics that you take. <laughs> to it keep it that does, yeah. Touch. Absolutely. You know, in fact, the microbiome is, called, is considered a diurnal system, which means that it has two cycles throughout the day. It has a, it has a morning and an evening cycle. Um, and, and there are certain bacteria that should be flourishing in the evening part of the cycle and others that should be flourishing during the daytime. And when we screw that up, um, you know, by, by messing up our own circadian rhythm, and then that kind of messes up the bacteria circadian rhythm, um, we can actually change the metabolites that are produced by the bacteria so we don't get everything that we need from our microbiome. Um, and, and traveling, you know, does that quite a bit. So as an example, in January, there was one week, and this is in a six-day period. I was in Portland and then Los Angeles and then Bombay, India, 
and then London and then North Carolina and then back to Chicago all in six days, right? So literally wow. around the world because I went from the west all the way back to the east. Um, but I sleep fine during each evening even though I just changed a tw- uh, to a 12-hour difference in time zone and and so on. And part of that I attribute to just taking really high doses of the spores and that, that helps um, mitigate some of the dysbiosis that is driven by, by travel. But I also do a lot of fasting as well, you know, and I, I try to prepare my body for being in a 12 hour different time zone for the next two days, a day beforehand by doing some fasting regimens that will actually kind of trick my microbiome into thinking it's the evening time. Um, because as humans, we mostly fast throughout the evening time. And so that's one of the signals that the microbiome takes to think that, okay, it's evening time, so we need to start kicking in the evening uh, biochemistry, which is the repairing of the body and and the increasing in things like autophagia, which is the the types of uh, mechanisms that go and clean up your cells and the debris and the turning on of the migrating mortar complex, which is this electrical sweeping through the gut, which just kind of cleans out the gut, uh, and, you know, and helps prevent SIBO and things like that. So there's a lot of trickery into trying to maintain some sort of health and not put on 150 pounds of extra weight and, you know, and not getting sick when you're traveling as much as I do. But what all of that tells me is that these types of, of mechanisms and systems that I utilize in the most stressful of conditions, which is, you know, constant travel, constant eating out, being on airplanes all the time, um, and, and how those still maintain, help me maintain health and wellness, doing those same things if you live a, a more, you know, um, a life with a better routine and you're not traveling will actually give you tremendous wellness, you know, and so that's, that's what I, I that's one of the benefits I think from all the travel I do is I really get to test out these these ideas and theories of, of how to stay well and how to stay healthy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You do you do literally challenge challenge the gut. We before we forget, we've decided that we have a new project for you, Karen. Yeah, we do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I love that. We we've decided that we me. need a microbiome friendly seal on foods. You know how they have like the, the cruelty free bunny? Yes. <laughs> okay. We need a microbiome friendly seal from Kieran. That's actually <laughs> in the works, believe it or not. I'm oh working my God, with a, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, we've been working on it for about um, six months now. I actually, I'm gathering a small com- uh, committee it. of um, microbiome experts, people that I respect their work and the research and all that they're doing in the microbiome field. Um, and I'm working actually with the food company uh, that I do a lot of work with right now on developing uh, foods that are that are good for the microbiome, and and we're actually developing that um, that whole concept where people can get their food submitted for review by by us by the committee, and we will we will give them a seal if if, if it's designed I love to be it. friendly to the microbiome. What a resource! Yeah. Great time to be alike. I love it. Absolutely, I so I love that you guys said that. Yes, it's 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 actually in the works, and and when it is when it becomes official, um, I want to be able to come on your show and announce it first because yes. you guys we would love that. 
That would be so cool. That would be so that's, fun. That's a huge you know, transparency for consumers. There's so much information you feel. I know for me in particular, I feel so overwhelmed, you know, trying to choose. I know the difference between yeah. certain butters and what can be there and not be there. And it's very deceiving, right? Organic butter can be really a, a dead food. <laughs> you know oh, absolutely. I mean? You know, and you must uh, consider this. I mean, uh, you know, and I go to all the, the latest stud- uh, research studies. One of the things that just that just came out at one of the microbiome congresses I was is that um, the uh, emulsifiers in foods, many of them that seem totally benign and fine, uh, you would never look at the label and think that that's an issue. Um, but many of these emulsifiers, which are present in many, many healthy foods, uh, fiber-rich foods and so on, um, they are a major driver of the type of dysbiosis that leads to Crohn's and colitis and IBD, you know? And so you would wow. you would never know that as a consumer. You could be eating right. something that says it's organic and it's, you know, there's non-GMO and it's high in protein, high in fiber and all that. It has all of the right bells and whistles, but it, it could be using a emulsifier um, in there, and and that emulsifier would be would be a huge detriment to your gut, you know. Oh so, my! Completely cross cancels out the whole thing. Right. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the 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 bad completely outweighs any good that you get from it. So, so absolutely, we we you know, and understanding this stuff and talking to consumers so much um, as I get a chance to, I find that it it this it's impossible for a consumer to really know what is good for their microbiome and what is not because there's a lot of hidden things that, that really are not good for the microbiome but are present in, at high amounts in, in healthy foods. Mind-blowing. I am, I am so <laughs> oh, <no>. excited. That, <laughs> that is amazing. huge. <laughs> I love that. That's so exciting, Kieran. Wow, fabulous. Yeah, we're going to change Because it can be very system, daunting you know. for for consumers to choose foods. I mean, I know, you know, just, you know, just very small amounts. And I really enjoyed your post on the pigs because it was like, no one's talking about this, right? These foods that are supposed to be healthy Mm -hmm. that are not healthy, you know? And, you know, people say, of course, in the thyroid community, eat healthy. And you're like, are you kidding me? Everything (laughs) seems so incredibly daunting. And, of course, the gut being the root of, of many, if not all, chronic illness. And, you know, eat healthy. Well, what does that mean? If we know that, you know, just choosing organic doesn't, it doesn't cut it. Or, you know, even for genetics, eat healthy. Well, depending on whose genetics and it's just, it's so overwhelming. So I love that project. I'm so excited for it. That will be huge. (laughs) It's a huge Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you know, it's our job, it's your job, it's my job to make all of this information, um, you know, usable to consumers. Uh, there's a lot of fantastic research, a lot of good science coming out, but the vast majority of it is either not understandable by the consumers or not, uh, or they can't utilize it. And okay. so, um, you know, my whole focus is to um, work with uh, outlets like yours. You, you guys have a great ability to reach consumers, and, and then I need to be able to make this, this information usable. Um, because if not, it says, what's the point of all of this science if they can't use, have something actionable in their lives to change it? Uh, okay, agree. along that line, Tiffany and I were talking before the show, <laughs> and 
Yeah. She has a really great question um, that she wants to ask you that just really, for lack of a better word, dumbs it down a little bit. So go for it, Tiff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, I can't remember what it was. But I, I do know the, that the burning question for me, for you, is because yeah. I know you do talk about fasting and intermittent fasting. Oh, okay. So she just PM'd me on what it was. Now, this is going to sound super silly. <laughs> but but Nothing is you silly. are probably the most fabulous guest we have ever had at taking oh, incredibly so intelligent information and making it understandable. Thank you. That, so and that's the, always been one of the things I do. <laughs> it, you're, you're amazing at it. Like you make it understandable for the average bird. You know, I'm not a microbiologist, and sometimes people talk way over my head. And I'm like, oh, I really right. want to understand this, but I don't, but I don't. So yeah. the question that I wanted to ask you, and we were kind of giggling, like Dana said, before the show, but I do want to get into intermittent fasting and how that's beneficial because there's a lot of myths that actually surround that intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. and I want you to nail that because it's really, really important. But I first want you to define, oh, and this is not a simple definition, but what the microbiome is, you know, when people say microbiome mm-hmm. and leaky gut, and they're very simple terms, but I think yeah. for the average bear like me, it's kind of like, well, what, what is it, Karen? Like, I understand yeah. that cortisol affects it, and, and maybe genetics started off, you know, is, yeah. is an Irish microbiome different than, a, than a, a, an Indian microbiome? You know, yeah. what is it? Yeah, so that that is the most important question I think um, to to answer because people have to understand what is their microbiome. So microbiome is really the uh, the, the scientific definition is a totality of microbes and all of their genetic elements that exists in and on the host, and the host is being us. Um, now, when we say totality of microbes, we mean all of the bacteria that live in and on your body, all of the viruses that live in and on your body, all of the um, you know, protozoas, all of the parasites, um, all of these microbes, um, you know, single cellular, multicellular, uh, prokaryotes, eukaryotes, all of those fancy terms. But it basically means anything that's not a human cell that is a living entity. And, and then the most important part is all of its genetic elements as well. So all of the genes that we get from these microbes that play a significant role in how we function day to day. So it's our ecology. So think about the microbiome as our ecology. And, and, I, and I don't know if I mentioned this last time when, when we were talking, but we really have to reframe how we think about what a human is. You know, there's a, there's a fancy term called holobiome, which is defined as a superorganism. So a human is essentially a superorganism. It's a collection of thousands of different species that exist in one space, which is the human body. And those species have to communicate with each other and support each other in order to perpetuate the health and wellness of the whole collection, right? So we are, I always say, we're a walking, talking rainforest. Um, if you ever look at the ecological that. signs, <laughs> yeah, we are an ecology, right? And so, and we now know what's so what's so amazing about it is, 
we now know that disease starts in any sort because of disruption within the ecology. And, and what's beautiful about that is because it's an ecology, we can reverse those disruptions, right? So it's no different than your garden. But imagine you had the world's most complex garden in your backyard, and this garden had over a 1,000 different types of plants in it. And, and your job was to manage that garden. And you unfortunately live in an area where there's a big factory next door, so there's toxins and chemicals spilling into your garden on a regular basis. You know, and so there's all of these things that go against maintaining the health of your garden just in the environment that the garden's in. And your job as the gardener is to go in and on a daily basis tend to that garden and make sure you don't end up with an ecological imbalance because the moment one of the types of plants starts to overgrow because it's uh, the a neighboring plant is being suppressed by a chemical, then you start throwing off the ecology of the garden, the types of um, insects that breed within the garden go off, the types of um, you know worms that live in the soil of the garden tends, tends, tends to go off, and before you know it, the entire garden is messed up shifted right so the health of the collective gets disrupted by small ecological changes and that's essentially what we're doing to our body we're we're we are exposing ourselves to small ecologically impactful uh chemicals and and things that occur because of our lifestyle on a regular basis and those small changes eventually end up being a massive impact on our ecology. And, you know, so think, take something simple like uh, glyphosate, right? Roundup. Um, if we keep eating GMO foods that, that, is, that we know are covered in Roundup, Roundup has this unique ability to basically kill good bacteria in the gut and not kill bad bacteria. It's the worst kind of antibiotic you can imagine hmm. because it selectively kills good bacteria. The bacteria that do really well in the presence of Roundup are Clostridia, Klebsiella, Salmonella, all of these pathogenic strains that end up causing significant inflammation and disease when they are allowed to overgrow. So these strains are, are present in your ecology, right? They are present from day one. And important, one. right, Kieran? And important. They play a role. to a certain extent, exactly. are important, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Virtually everything that exists within your ecology, good and bad, have a functional role, but, but their functional role is only beneficial when there's balance. So imagine, uh, you know, the clostridia in your, in your, in your gut um, exists, and, and then they do certain things like support the immune system and, and reduce the um, incidence of allergies. Even the Klebsiella can, can uh, help upregulate the immune system to some degree. Um, but they're there present in the gut. Um, but the other good bacteria are kind of keeping them in check, and so there's good balance and everything's working fine. There's no disease. You start eating GMO foods. You start eating a lot of wheat uh, that contains a lot of glyphosate on it, a lot of the Roundup. And then over a period of two or three years with that kind of continuous exposure to that chemical, your ecology gets shifted where the clostridia and the salmonella and all that start to overgrow. Once they start to overgrow, they will start producing higher and higher levels of the types of toxins that they are good at producing. Those types of toxins will break down the immune system in the gut, will cause massive 
systemic inflammation, and then that systemic inflammation uh, will drive autoimmune disease. You know, so your autoimmune disease that you're suffering from is not something that you just caught, you know, the day before that you got diagnosed or something. It's, it's something that's been brewing in your body for the previous 15 years. Um, you know, it's slow, minute exposure to chemicals and compounds that perturbate your uh, ecology over time. That's what leads to disease. Hmm. So I have a question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And just, just consider this a personal question. But the yeah. constant exposure to essential oils in their potency, mm-hmm. if people are ingesting them, that also can alter the microbiome in a negative way. Wouldn't it be on a regular basis? I'm not talking about, you know, occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I always advise people is that anything that has a killing effect on bacteria, and even though we have framed natural antimicrobials in a, in a, in a positive light because we compare them to, you know, synthetic antibiotics, um, they're still antimicrobials. They still kill bacteria, right. and they do so nonspecifically, meaning they'll kill good bacteria just as much as they kill bad bacteria. And, and one of the things I've been saying over the last six months is, you know, we can never achieve health by the process of killing. You know, that's just not how nature is designed, right? Our ancestors right. did not consume things on a regular basis that killed bacteria in their system. In fact, the, the way they controlled bacteria within their system is by other bacteria. Right. Right? So more exposure to good bacteria creates ecological balance within your, within your ecology. So people who are taking you know, colloidal silver on a regular basis, people who are taking oregano oil on a regular basis, or, or allicin, or um, you know, all of these kind of natural antimicrobials that kill things on a regular basis – are causing long-term perturbations in the microbiome that, that will prevent wellness. And that's the same thing with essential oils as well. And we know that because we've, we've formulated, um, you know, I work on a lot of probiotic formulations in food products as well. And, right. and uh, you know, they're flavoring compounds in food. Most flavoring compounds are made up of essential oils. Um, and, when we formulate probiotic products with essential oils, which are the flavoring compounds, it kills the bacteria in the food. It, these are very potent antimicrobials, and they kill good bacteria just as well as they kill bad bacteria. You know, and um, I wish and, I and, could give you a bullhorn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a huge essential oil fan, but I, I, you know, the dosing is the poison, and nobody gets that. You're like, this right. is this is something that that dilutions and. And frequency and all of these different things are are the difference between beneficial or problematic. And oh no, but exactly. essential oils are natural. Everything's fabulous, right? Let's shower in them. I'm like, oh God, no, 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 yeah. no. Is that, that's that's not how it works. Too much of a good yeah. thing, you know, too right? Much of a good too much of a good thing, you know. Absolutely. And same thing with like coconut oil, for example. You know, coconut oil is like the darling of the health industry. But, you know, there are studies that show that coconut oil increases leaky gut more than any other fat. Um, and in part, it's because, the, you know, coconut oil has a lot of antimicrobial effects. So if you are, you know, cooking with it, bathing with it, rubbing it on your skin, gargling with it, you know, doing this mouth pulling stuff, all of this stuff that people do, 
seven times a day with coconut oil, you're you're using it too much, and um, and and it's it's unusual because also think about it this way, um, you know the microbiomes of Europeans are 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 very sensitive to coconut oils because your ancestors did not evolve being exposed to coconut, coconut. oil on such frequency. Yeah, <laughs> there were no coconuts in Germany and 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 England and all that stuff. So. You know, so those are the that's the descendants of your your microbiome, and um, and so if we're doing excessive amounts of coconut, um, we're really creating a perturbation in our microbiome. And, you know, so and, one of and the, even uh, in the Philippines oh, and Thailand, right, where they where they where absolutely. their microbiome would be very friendly and familiar with coconut, it's with coconut, right, right? not necessarily coconut, coconut oil. Exactly, the way it's processed and concentrated. Right, exactly. It's with coconut, which contains, you know, the way they do it is that I come from Malaysia originally in India. So, you know, we in Malaysia, we we consume coconut all the time. And in India, of course, we consume coconut all the time. We had two big coconut trees by our house. Um, And the way we consume coconut is you cut it open, you drink the water. So the coconut water is really refreshing. And then they scrape out the, the meat inside the coconut, which is, um, made up of, you know, a high amount of protein mixed with some of the fat and, and some of the carbohydrates and all that. So it's a balanced thing. They never, um, you know, the only thing that they use co- concentrated coconut oil for in India was for your hair. So, in fact, every wow. night if you wanted to have luscious black hair, you would soak your hair in coconut oil and go to bed. Um, <laughs> but other than that, you know, we, 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 we cooked with coconut shavings which was the protein and the carbohydrates and the fat mix. So it's a balance in there. Oh, my God. Well, if you ever decide to apply for, like, Natural Geographic Channel or something like that, <laughs> I will host the program that goes to each one of these com- countries and explains the microbiome and how it evolved. And Because I swear to God, it is a huge piece of health. So and, and I love talking to you, Karen, because you always crack these doors for me. Like we can't even come yeah. up with an outline for you. We're like, let's just let it rip. Okay. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking too when when uh, I saw the email and I was thinking, yes, let's just let's unleash just random let's knowledge, unleash, right? Into, right into the airwaves. So yeah. Well, as genetics is coming on the forefront. Let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that because you have beautifully touched on it repeatedly, and I swear we're going to get to intermittent fasting now before we let you go. <laughs> but yeah. let's talk about genetics, the Irish microbiome, the German microbiome, the Indian microbiome, the Malaysian microbiome. We, you've talked about it with coconut oil. We've talked about it. You know, you've hit on it, touched on it a few times. Is it possible that a lot of the chronic illness that we're seeing also is because of the influx of the insult on a genetic propensity biome? Does that make sense? Microbiome? Uh, the genes Did that make the sense? biome itself, right? Yeah, so yeah. We're, I, we're I, feeding the Irish biome, the coconut oil and bananas, and is the biome just going, what's happening? What's happening? Is this, is this something <laughs> exactly. that's possible? It is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in fact, there, there's some evidence of this, because when you look at um, the, the microbiome and the, the ge- genetic makeup of the microbiome in um, Inuit Indians, for example, who eat a diet that's really high in fat because a majority of their diet is seals, right? And seals tend to be really high in fat. They have a very different type of 
metabolic profile, of genetic profile, and of bacterial profile of their microbiome because they've evolved over the last few thousand years eating a diet high in seal fat. Now, if any one of us went to, um, you know, the Arctic Circle and started eating seal fat tomorrow, we would be sick for days and sick weeks and dog, years. Right? So, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, uh, and, it, and we're not designed for it, right? Our microbiome's not really designed for it. It's no different. And the best example of this is, you know, that if you tomorrow, if you travel to Mexico City and you drank the water in Mexico City, you would get deathly ill. You'd get Montezuma's Revenge, right? And, <laughs> and the reason for that is because your microbiome is not adapted to that environment. And that includes the, back, the type of bacteria that's in your gut and the type of genetics that are within your system as well. And when I say genetics, I actually mean the, the genes that come from the bacteria, not our own genetics. What's interesting about humans is that the vast majority of humans in the world, it doesn't matter whether you're from the South Pole, North Pole, Asia, or, the, or, or United States, are the genes within our chromosomes are 99.8% similar. You know, there's very little differences between our genes in different parts of the world. However, the genetics that are present in your microbiome can be upwards of 30% different, which means that the thing that really makes someone from Asia Asian and someone that makes uh, from North America North American is our microbiome, the types of microbes that live within our system. Um, and the same thing with identical twins. There's been numerous studies on identical twins, especially ones where they physiologically they're so different. You know, they're, they're um, identical twin studies where they look at an obese twin versus a lean twin, and they're they're genetically in, in terms of their chromosomes exactly the same. Identical twins have 100% same genetics, but one is obese and is depressed, and the other one's lean. And the the only difference between the two of them is the types of microbes and the types of microbial genes that are present in their body. You know, that's wow. what makes one obese and makes one more uh, higher propensity for disease and the other one lean. They have 100% same genetic makeup in their chromosomes. So, uh, and even things like apes, right? So if you look at our, at our closest ancestors in the animal kingdom, um, we have 98.5% genetic similarity to, in terms of the genes on our chromosomes to, to apes, and, and yet we're such different animals, right? Um, and, and a lot of those differences are driven by the types of microbiomes that we have. So, you know, some, some of the crazy estimates are around 90, 90 to 95% of all of your biological activity in your body every day. So every, every time, you know, you walk, talk, eat, sleep, dream, everything is dictated by the genes that are, are present in your body from the microbes in your body, not your own genes in your chromosome. So, you know, all of these years, I always say that all of these years um, of medical and scientific research to figure out the human body and figure out how to keep it healthy and how to fight disease, we've been looking at, you know, 5% or less of ourselves. And with the, on, with the advent of the microbiome stuff, we're finally looking at the other 95%. Wow. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. That is profound right there. It is. Yeah. I mean, everything can change about you when you change your microbiome. 
Um, and that's what's, that's what's scary and also very exciting. The scary part is we happen to have created a world that is absolutely detrimental to our microbiome, right? Because we never considered the, the potential impact of microbes in our system uh, when we created the modern world that we live in. So virtually everything we created and surrounded, surround ourselves with is detrimental to the microbiome, which means it's detrimental to 95% of the control mechanisms of our health. Um, and, and, you know, and, but at the same time, as we learn and understand the impact of the microbiome, and uh, it also gives us the opportunity to reverse many of the conditions that we thought were permanent diseases, even things like scary things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, you know, both of those things have recently been shown in studies to be um, derived from certain types of microbes in the microbiome, even colon cancer. I was at a lecture, um, you know, at one of the congresses, microbiome congresses in, in San Diego in January, there was some great talks on colon cancer and, and, a, and a paper just published on February 8th of this year showing what the exact mechanism is that causes colon cancer. So 50,000 people in the U.S. this year will die of colon cancer. And these are people of varying ages. I mean, people who are 18, 19 years old, seemingly in the prime of their, in their lives, all the way up to people who are you know, much elderly in the 80s and 90s. And, and colon cancer is caused by uh, a group of bacteria called Bacteroides fragilis, which is a normal part of your microbiome, and also certain types of E. coli, which is also a normal part of your microbiome. Those two types of bacteria moving from the top part of the mucosal layer a few millimeters down into the middle part of the mucosal layer and then forming biofilms and, and p producing toxins in that middle part of the mucosal layer. That's it that migration of the bacteria from the top part to the middle part, which again, in, in physiologically, it's just a few millimeters, will cause 50,000 deaths this year. Right? Wow. That's how Holy scary moly. and impactful it is. <laughs> I yeah. can't really wrap my brain around that. <laughs> trying to... I know, right? You would, like you would <laughs> wow. think there's some massive genetic issue and that, you know, um, there, there, there's so much more to it that causes this devastating disease of colon cancer, but it's not. It's bacteria going from where they should be and migrating down a few steps to where they shouldn't be, and that causes colon cancer. Wow. Huh. That's how powerful they are. Um, okay. I'm in a flower field for a moment on that one. <laughs> I don't know. I just can't. Just I have like... to tell you, recently I had my my uh, very first colonoscopy, a little TMI there for everybody this morning, but uh, yeah. I have many primary family members who have died of colon cancer, and I have significant genes and blah, 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 blah. So I was scared to death, I honestly have to tell you. Yeah. And I did not have one polyp, and I was like, I mean, Excellent. I swear, I felt like an Olympic athlete when I walked out of there. I was like, <laughs> <That's> woo! <awesome. laughs> you That's know, so great. the and, doctors and thought it was nuts, you, you know? Yeah, you know, so all, as it turns out, really what you have to focus on is making sure those bacteria don't translocate from where they should be, which is on the top part of the mucosal layer, to where they shouldn't be, which is the inner part of the mucosal layer. And, and the thing that really helps do that is, number one, the right type of microbes within your gut that controls overgrowth of those kind of species. 
Number two is the production of something as simple as butyrate because butyrate helps your body regenerate that mucosa layer. And so when you start regenerating the mucosa layer from the bottom, you push those bacteria back up to where they should be. You know, and in fact, we've, we've known this for some time because if you look it up for people who are at high risk of colon cancer, they'll actually go into hospitals and get butyrate enemas on a regular basis to try to prevent the condition from occurring. But, you know, the microbes, like the spores that we work with, produce high levels of butyrate for you. And, wow. and they do that in the gut naturally, and, and that's part of the way that the gut protects itself from these simple changes like, Bacteroidus flagellus and, and E. coli migrating from the top to the middle and then causing cancer. Huh. I'm telling wow. you, the answer to life is balance. We have to balance yeah. the bacteria. It's balance. <laughs> it's balance Absolutely. In balance everything. in our diet. Yeah, balance <laughs> in our life. You know, um, we know we can undersleep. We know we can oversleep. We just know that there's a right balance to the amount of sleep. Uh, we know we can take too much protein. Everyone says protein is good for you, but if you get too much, you're going to create too much ammonia. It's going to stress the liver. It's going to increase the pH of the blood. It's going to cause brain swelling. You know, you can even die from too much water, right? right. Um, you know, uh, hyponatremia is an issue of dying from drinking too much water. So <laughs> balance is the key. And, and, and one message I always want to put out, because I get a lot of, um, um, you know, emails and all that for people with, with all kinds of complex conditions and they ask me for my advice, and I, I, I try to never give them medical advice because I'm not their medical doctor, but I always give them my opinion on things. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But one of the things I always tell people is one of the things that we've done in functional medicine space is we obsessively test, right? So people I know do so many tests. They're doing four or five microbiome tests a year. They're doing allergy tests, food sensitivity testing. They're doing organic acid testing nonstop. And then there's urine mycotoxin testing. And I get all of this information that people say, oh, I tested for H. pylori and SIBO and this and that. And this test is confusing me. I don't know what that test means and so on and so forth, right? And, and that is just information overload. And in fact, if you follow quantum theory at all, in many cases, the con condition doesn't exist until you test for it. And once you test for it and the test shows you something, then you are definitely going to feel like you have the problem, right? right. And so if somebody is autoimmune and, and there's definitive tests to know that you are Hashimoto's autoimmune, which is once you're diagnosed with that, um, then, then the, the best thing to do is try to get your body back in balance um, do the things that we know are good for the microbiome to achieve balance in the microbiome and, um, you know, and then allow your body to heal and repair itself um, rather than doing new tests every three or four uh, months and, and looking for new supplements and doing all those kind of things. So I, I find that there's a lot of exhaustive testing going on. And, um, you know, in, in most cases, I find it to be more of a detriment than a benefit. Now, so you brought up supplements, uh, Karen. Supplements can mm -hmm. uh, alter and perturb the microbiome as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, especially when we're supplementing with, with things that, um, you know, the, that the microbiome utilizes, right? So um, like methylated vitamins, for example, I, you know, you hear a lot about MTHFR mutations. Um, and so a lot of people are taking high levels of methylated vitamins. But as it turns out, 
methylated vitamins are supposed to be produced by your microbiome. And, um, and then my, methylated vitamins are utilized by parts of the microbiome to, cha- to turn on and off certain genes, right? So then if we are taking very high levels of methylated vitamins into our system, we could be screwing up some of the genetic expression within the microbiome. You know, and so in, 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 um, with the frame of mind of balance, I always try to, you know, tell people that just, just consider what our ancestors did. Right, and and they didn't take such high levels of, of synthetic or you know purified methylated vitamins, um, and so it's not necessarily good for you to have that kind of huge amounts of exposure, um, because what we should be doing is increasing the diversity of our microbiome by increasing the diversity of our diet, and then a diverse, healthy microbiome will produce all of the methylated B vitamins that you need to function. In fact, there are some indications that. The a healthy microbiome produces so much methylated B vitamins that only 30% of it is required for absorption. The other 70% of it goes on to be converted into other compounds that the microbiome uses for other purposes. You know, so okay. I'm going to round yeah. you up here because I want to ask you a particular question. With because I, I love where you're going, and I've decided that we just need to interview you every week. That's what yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> That's what I've decided, okay? <laughs> because my head is just, I like a bobblehead right now. I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew it. And all of these things, and, and you hear this onslaught from really smart people, Karen. Mm, really it's smart. awful. People. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. awful. <laughs> okay. So let's deal with two particular nutrient deficiencies that are so common in thyroid yeah. and Hashimoto's in particular, B12 and iron. Yeah. So you just mentioned methylated vitamins, B12, right? The, the microbiome mm-hmm. produces this. But everyone's going, but what if? Then why am I deficient? But, 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 what do you say to that? Well, so one of the problems we have in, in, the, in the modern medical uh, establishment is is the test, right? So we, we say we are B12 deficient based on the test, um, but we don't necessarily know for sure how accurate the test is. And we don't actually right. know whether oh, or not so what the, yeah, what the <laughs> test shows is, is what you need, right? So all of these tests are based on a collection of data of where the average person's B12 level is. Right now, again, and it's also trying to, it's also testing B12 that's floating around. It's not necessarily testing B12 that's in tissue or that's being utilized by cells. Right. right? So maybe your B12 is, is low on the test because most of your B12 is in your cells being utilized. Right? So, so that, that's part of the problem with some of the testing um, is that we rely on them so much. And we, we then supplement and, and fortify and, and do all of these things at such high-intensity levels based on the results of the test when we don't really know that the test is accurate, you know, and we don't really know that the test is actually that meaningful. And so we could be overdoing it, um, you know, quite easily. Um, and a lot of the B12, a lot of the vitamin B standards was, was set up based on preventing things like rickets 
right? And and um, and like the vitamin standards uh, out there are designed based on preventing rickets and scurvy and beriberi. I think B12, it's beriberi. Um, and so these are the, like the awful diseases that people got when they did, you know, transcontinental migration on, on ships where they were eating nothing and heading, getting no nutrition, and then they would end up with these nutrient-deficient diseases. Um, and, and so those standards were designed to, to, to prevent those highly nutrient-deficient diseases, but they're not necessarily indicative of certain conditions. And with Hashimoto's patients, we know that it's a very complex multifactorial condition, right? We also know like thyroid antibodies, for example, aren't necessarily, um, you know, uh, correlative with symptoms, right? You, we, you have like in, oh, right. in the clinics that we work with, right? We know that some patients could have very elevated antibodies but have very few symptoms, and the vice versa. Some people with very low antibodies but still have very severe symptoms. So, right, we've always right found that fascinating from the get-go. You know, where I, some people were like, "Oh, they picked it up on a annual physical," and so we've always asked people, "Well, you know, where where were you at?" Oh, you know, my antibodies were thirty-five hundred. I had no idea. You know, and Dan and I right. were like, "Oh my gosh." You know? I mean, here you can have people feel like they're dying with antibodies of like 200, 300. You're like, wow, that's yeah. just that's just fascinating. How is that? And, that's and the so, thing. How is that? So, so that to me is significant evidence of the idea that there is never a one size fits all for that's for people, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that's the basis of these tests. The basis of these tests is that it's a one size fits all. Everybody's thyroid antibody should be in this range. If you are outside of this range, you're sick, or you're under this range, you you know you shouldn't you should be feeling really great. Um, but that's we know that's not true. So that right there speaks to what is the real value in these tests. I mean, I, I, I don't, I think it's fine to do them to try to get a clue of maybe what's going on. And when you put a lot of the things collectively together, it might give you an idea of, of which organ systems or which parts of the body aren't really functioning. But at the end of the day, the test can cause more detriment than, than um, benefit because we shape our therapies 100% to the test when we when the Rather significant the evidence of the test is yeah the test is, is 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 not accurate for that individual you know it's the same thing with vitamin d right um if you give now that allopathic doctors have started testing people for vitamin d levels if they see the vitamin d levels below a certain measure they start giving you 50,000 ius a day of vitamin d to try to bring that level up and even after a year that level might never come up and 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 then they'll just give you more and you know, then then the question is, right? What but is they all test they test D, D and they don't test magnesium, which activates vitamin D. It's like, oh my God, they're missing a whole the whole left shoe. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, oh my and they gosh. Don't test, and they don't test vitamin A. They don't test vitamin K, vitamin E. And we know that all of the fat soluble vitamins together work in synergy to balance out one another. And so we're overloading the system with D based on this kind of um, you know uh, falsified D test. And That's so, crazy. yeah, so for the B vitamins and the iron, um, you know, I, I always, my recommendation to people is, you know, try to put the body back into homeostasis. And the only way we know how to do that is through, is through our diet and through behaviors. And, and then, you know, taking certain key supplements like, um, you know, being able to improve some of the pre- prebiotic intake, 
into the system because we're not getting enough prebiotics in our foods. Of course, taking the right probiotic because we're not getting that natural exposure to those bacteria, um, you know, and then diversifying your diet and then trying to avoid stuff, avoiding all the xenoestrogens and the phytoestrogens, um, avoiding all of the household products, the cleaning products, all of the cosmetics that contain all of these uh, preservatives and, you know, parabens and all of these things that we know are harmful to the body and the ecology. Um, and, and that's really what it is at the end of the day. You know, we started talking about the ecology, and it's really balancing your ecology. And, and in many ways, it's feeding the ecology to some degree with the things we know are good for it, and then removing the things that we know disrupt the ecology. And that removing process becomes equally, if not more important than what we put back into the ecology. Okay, so you cracked the door, and we know we have to let you go because you have wonderful things to do and people to talk to. <laughs> Intermittent fasting, does that reset yeah. the microbiome to a certain extent, and is that how you go from cuisine here in the United States to India without having the uh, the preface of killing the Intuit Indians by feeding them South American food? Is intermittent <laughs> right. fasting critical to that? Yes, very much so. So intermittent fasting, um, we know, increases the diversity of the microbiome, which is totally counterintuitive. The idea that wow. not feeding the microbiome somehow increases more of the bacteria. But as it turns out, the, there are certain genres of bacteria within the gut that really grow and do well when there's no food present. Um, you know, and they, they feed off the byproducts of other bacteria. Some of them will feed off the the, um, the dead part of the mucus layer and then stimulate the production of more mucus as well. And so, you know, there's a really interesting dynamic going on within the gut. And then they also then stimulate the body to increase something called autophagia. And the process of autophagia allows the body to clean its cells, clean off uh, messed up DNA, remove uh, damaged cells, reduce inflammation. So it's this reset cleaning process that our body is designed to go through on a regular basis. We've totally prevented that, that from happening by constantly feeding ourselves, you know, and, and our ancestors did not have that luxury. Our ancestors regularly went, 14, 15, 16 hours in an average day without consuming anything, you know, and, and, and so the microbiome evolves to say, okay, during this time of non-consumption is when I'm going to go into repair mode. And that's, and that's our, that's our inherent repair mode. And, and we are preventing the repair mode from being triggered every single day by eating too much. So fasting for the gut is the equivalency of meditation for the brain, essentially. Absolutely, yes. And in fact, because we know the gut and brain are intimately connected, um, it also helps heal the brain because of all the inflammation that comes from the gut to the brain, that inflammation gets stopped. We know that human growth factor levels go way up during, during a fasting period. Uh, we also know there's something called fasting-induced um, adipose factor, which um, actually starts to allow your brain cells and all that to burn fat for energy. Uh, also, of course, your muscles and so on, uh, which reduce some of the oxidative stress that goes on in the body. So it's like this amazing cleansing reset that is so important for any kind of healing process. Of course, if you're already healthy to maintain health, 
Um, you know, and then I actually, when I go on vacations, it becomes really hard to, to do the, the 16 hour fast that I regularly like to do. And so, uh, because most vacations tend to be a very gluttonous experience, uh, when I come back (laughs) from a vacation, you know, I will sometimes just do like a 24 to 30 hour fast and, and my body just completely resets and I feel, you know, no bloat, no, no uh, lethargy. Um, my immune system feels good and I feel full of energy and my mind is clear again. Um, and it's amazing the impact that the fasting has. And more and more studies are being done on it, which is really exciting because you'll come to see in the next two years that it is arguably the most important thing you can do for your health is the fasting period. Wow. Now, for the people like me, Karen, who, you know, I've mm-hmm. been a food-controlled diabetic for 30-some years, it's that mm-hmm. frequency of eating that has brought my A1C down and kept it low and whatever. So it it fundamentally disagrees with what I have been taught. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Are you a type 1? Type 2. No, type 2. So it's the frequency oh, like two. I, okay. you know, small yep. meals, you know, don't go longer than two or three hours without eating, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. right? Which has worked sure. well for me. Although I'm heavy and I'm not designed to be heavy, if that makes any sense. I, I gained 65 yeah. pounds within one year and have never been able to budget. No amount of thyroid medication. I mean, my endocrinologist scratches his head. He's like, God, you know, you just, I gain weight right. on thyroid medication. It's a craziness. But yeah. I swear that's part of it, right? So mm-hmm. for all of the people yeah. who are in their head are, are shaking their head and, and going, this is just, this is against everything I know. But I do find yeah. it interesting that when I will go and skip breakfast, like if I'm working, and mm-hmm. I do farmer's markets, so if I haven't got it, I can't walk away because I end up with a line at my booth and blah, blah, blah. I feel better. Yeah. Like I feel more alert. It's hard to explain. So yep. convince me and the people <laughs> who have had chronic illness, not convince me because I'm already, I'm already there, but how yeah. do we retrain what we have learned to incorporate intermittent fasting for the chronically ill. It's still safe for us, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And now you, you would want to ease into it. So what you'd want to do is, is take a look at your um, regular eating patterns over a week period and then figure out what is the most amount of time you go on a regular basis without consuming any calories, anything that's insulinogenic, anything that would uh, upregulate your insulin response in the body. And let's say it's seven hours, right? And it's mostly through the nighttime. Um, then what you do is for the very next week, you try to push that to eight hours and, and be, you know, be uh, specific about measuring your blood glucose level at, at that eight hour period and seeing if you are, you know, at a, at, at a, at a level that is uncomfortable to you or, or, um, uh, or it's, a, it's a manageable level. And then the very next week, push that to nine hours and then push it to 10. So you can slowly do that, um, you know, and, and you can have significant success. I mean, with type 2 diabetes, more and more we're seeing that, that, the, um, that the islet cells can start to regenerate themselves. And uh, with high doses of K2, with high doses of butyrate, um, and then with uh, with the right uh, probiotic, of course, where the where the butyrate comes from. And then when you if you add the fasting in, it actually improves insulin sensitivity and insulin response in the body. So which is it, a huge problem com- for people with thyroid disorders. So they would benefit from yep. intermittent fasting. Now, 
Karen, a plan. So you said even for people with thyroid disorders, working up, it's not just like, you know, so many of us would be like, okay, so I'm not going to eat until th- Friday. <laughs> I mean, let's not do that. There's, right? <laughs> yeah, There's a good way, way of doing this it. and making it successful, right? So Absolutely. You don't want to stress your body and your mind beyond where you're comfortable at the moment, right? Because um, again, if, if, you, if you feel nervous about it and you're stressed about it, it's going to increase stress hormone production. Uh, it's going to increase norepinephrine and epinephrine release. And, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to put your body in a non-homeostatic state. So it, what I recommend to people is do a one week's worth of a food journal so you have accurate data as to how long you are naturally going without consuming any calories. And that includes you know, beverages. So if you're, if you're doing tea with a little bit of honey in it, that, that's included. Anything that, that your body has to metabolize, anything that your liver has to metabolize. Um, you know, so take, keep a food journal. And if it happens to be, say, seven hours, then the next week try to push it to eight hours and see how you feel. And then after a week of eight hours and you feel good, push it to nine. You know, and, and the goal is to try to get somewhere, um, you know, above 14. Now, some people may never get there. Some people might just be at 12, and, and they do well at 12, and that's a, that's a happy medium for them. But even that is good, you know, because some of the studies that are coming out on the intermittent fasting is that it shows that it, it's not necessarily like exercise where exercise is more beneficial or really beneficial if you do it on a regular basis. You can't just work out once a week and, and, you know, and then the rest of the time not do anything. Um, With fasting, it seems like even if you do it just a couple times a week, there seems to be a measurable significant benefit. They actually did studies where they did five days a week fasting and then totally blew it off on the weekend and went completely the opposite. And the, and the benefits were still realized. So, so any amount that people can do it is going to be good for them. And they should do it slowly and ease into it. It's very different than, you know, one day or two day. You know, it's it, it fasting can also be too much of a good thing. It sounds like you know, it's this is more about yeah. reasonable expectations Absolutely. for the body. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the easiest fast is you know from about eight or nine o'clock at night, which is you know hopefully the time most people are thinking about winding down and going to bed, and then till about you know ten o'clock, eleven o'clock the next morning. Okay. Um, that's really it. You know, we're not, we're not talking about doing, yeah, we're not doing 32 hour water fast and all that. That's a whole different level and a whole different ball game. Um, I'm talking about just for general healthy lifestyle choices that, that have a huge impact on our overall health and wellness and also on how our body, uh, you know, heals Um, just doing, you know, 13, 14 hours. If you can get to 16, that's ideal. Um, but you don't necessarily have to. Every little bit that you do helps. Um, and that, that's what's so great about fasting. Awesome. I like okay, that. so we got the fasting question answered. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of you know, when probiotic I, when I started, questions. Go ahead. No, no, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. When you started, well, when no, I you started, said when you know, 12 hours was difficult. You know, it was, um, I was used to eating much more frequently than that. But now, even at 16 hours, I have to remind myself, like, oh, wait, I haven't eaten yet. i got to eat something, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's had a huge profound change in, in how my body functions. And as you know, I put it to the test by f- doing nothing but flying and eating out. 
<laughs> right, and you you put an enormous challenge, and and that's okay. Absolutely. So, quick probiotic question. We know spore probiotics yeah. are just that's where it's at. You know where it's at. I mean, it makes perfect yeah. sense. It's very logical. Uh, the studies that uh, that have shown have, have really proven the spore-based probiotic. So, quick question: Do people need to take those all the time, or is it should they give themselves a break from that as well, or what what have you found on that? Yeah, you know. So, what we found is that. Um, some continuous exposure becomes extremely important. If we look back at nature, and I always go back to evolutionary biology, and I say, what did our ancestors do throughout the course of human evolution? Our ancestors got regular exposure to these types of bacteria because they were in the dirt, eating dirt every day. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's normal for the body to get continuous exposure. Now, in terms of dosing, we do find that once people have certain conditions under control that they're targeting, that they can go to a much lower kind of maintenance dose. You know, we have people that just take it on weekends, or just take it three times a day, uh, sorry, three times a week um, rather than seven times a week and be, and, and are totally fine. And then, awesome. you know, they find like, uh, you know, during cold and flu season, when they might pick up something, then they bump up the dose again to, to help fight off those things. Or they happen to travel or go on vacation somewhere overseas, then they bump the dose back up. So you can play around with it. Um, you know, we, we try to look at washout period. Uh, when you do studies and you do what we call a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover study, that means, you know, some group of people will start with the therapeutic and then end with a placebo, or they might start with a placebo and end with the therapeutic. The whole purpose in that is we want to see what the changes are between the two types of, of therapy. Right. But, but you have to figure out a washout period, meaning if you're starting the patients with the therapeutic, which is a probiotic, then when you stop it, how long does it take for, those, for the effects to go away? Um, so we've looked at that clinically. We, what we find is even up to 30 days, the effects are still there. Uh, of, of the spore. So they do make a fundamental fun- uh, functional change within the body that has the ability to last. The only problem is our modern society, as, we, as I mentioned before, is very well designed to perturb the microbiome on a regular basis. You know, so it becomes important because we are disrupting the microbiome so frequently that we have to put things back that help, um, that help reset the microbiome. On a regular now, basis it, as well. Is it possible outside of a spore-based probiotic? In other words, you have 13 strains of this and six strains mm-hmm. of bifidobacterium and this and that. That would have a potential because you're adding those specific strains, correct? That can throw off the microbiome. That's what makes that difference than a spore-based, correct? Yeah, because and and most of those are kind of are 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 fairly unnatural. So when you have a product that has, um, you know, 19 or 20 different strains in it, and it's bifidobacter and lactobacillus, and, um, you know, and there's, uh, let's say, 50 or 100 billion CFUs, those are not native strains to the body. And when you take them at those high doses, you are creating perturbations within the microbiome that we don't know what the end result of that perturbation is, right? Our ancestors did not get... 100 billion bifidobacteria and lactobacillus on a regular basis. 
those are the types of species that we got passed down from mom to child during the birthing process. And then they established themselves as your own unique set of bifido and lactose strains within about two and a half years of being born. And so mm-hmm. taking them as an adult every single day in huge quantities does cause perturbations in the microbiome. And, and so the products that are really high doses, really high potency, really scare me because we don't know what's going to happen down the road if you're taking, you know, 100 or 200 billion of non-conventional bacteria every single day. You know, it's, that's just shooting in the dark. We don't, we don't really know what the effect is. And that's so logical. <laughs> and, and, and it makes so much sense. And we could just keep talking to you, and we and we will, but I know we need to let you go because you have a, a plane to catch. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful to, to have you um, on the show so again and, and to have Just Thrive as our, as our sponsor because we, we feel really uh, proud and we take it seriously and we uh yes. we're very grateful Absolutely. and honored um what? okay so let's let's wrap really quick i want to just talk about a couple of things that we learned and, and discovered um today and one of them is balance <laughs> which we all already <laughs> probably knew this the key to life let's just, let's just bullhorn it out there that balance really is key right yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah we are an ecology and ecologies require balance. Even good things can throw off our ecology in a way that will cause disease or at least prevent healing. So it becomes really important to understand that. And um, be careful of your probiotics. <laughs> um, we, <Yeah>. we, <laughs> that's a really important one because we just don't know enough. And, you know, if, or if you're questioning and wondering which probiotics, I'm thinking just Thrive or Thrive Probiotic would be a good one. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, healing leaky gut <laughs> has a huge beneficial impact, increasing diversity. Oh, we'll be publishing a paper this year that shows that adding the spores into the gut actually increases diversity of the microbiome, which is <sighs> counterintuitive. But we had that sense because we know how the spores function within the gut. So we did a specific study to show that, and and it's the first time any probiotic has been shown to actually increase the actual diversity of the microbiome, which we know is the ultimate goal of a healthy microbiome. Oh, that's exciting. Wow. That's very exciting. Okay, so we know we have to have you back two times for sure, one for that and one (laughs) for the food label. That's right. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you guys brought that up. That is awesome, yes. I'm so excited. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, we've been we've been kind of keeping it a secret and trying to figure out okay how do we launch this, but I'm so I glad you brought it up because I've been dying Karen. to tell somebody. <laughs> I've been dying to Yay! tell somebody, and and, uh, and you guys will be the first place we come and announce the official um, availability of the microbiome friendly um, you know uh, screening process and, and certification. Oh God, so that's we'll, wonderful. It's I can't really tell cool. you how excited I am for that. Truly, I, I that will be a game changer. It will be a game changer. I'm serious. I mean, for everybody, but especially people, you know, with uh, health challenges. I think that's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me know if you need well, a salesperson on that. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> will do, for sure. Um, well, safe travels. We, uh, we will be talking so to you again soon. We don't have it on the schedule yet, but we know we will. So we're excited for that. And uh, have a fabulous day. This has been Remarkable. Thank you so much, Karen. And 
And thank you both for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you again. It's going to be so much fun. We can't wait. Happy travels, Karen. Take take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. You know I'm going to say it. I know. (laughs) Holy moly. (laughs) And I mean it this time. No, I mean, I mean it every time. First time you talked to him. (laughs) I I did. That he is my absolute favorite guest. He he is. It's just so you can just wrap your head around it and he's incredibly smart. He makes it very, very understandable, very logical. I just I just love it. I just love talking with that man. I truly do. And I'm and what, so excited for that microbiome friendly. I can't believe see I, this is he answered a need. It was already in the works, uh-huh. and I'm just like, yeah. this is a need. This is something we need. So I that's know. awesome. Love that. Man. And what's so what's so neat about him is that you can tell he's, you know, not my way or the highway, or you know, he's learned so much, and he's right. always learning and always growing and always introducing new things, and he's able to say, okay, well, maybe we tried that, and that didn't work, so let's go this way. Like, it's an evolving thing that feels very real and, and uh, relatable, don't you think? Right. Absolutes just don't exist. That's a, yeah. a fallacy. It really is, and, it, and I think that that very much prevents people from becoming well is believing that something is an absolute end to their health. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. It really doesn't. Oh. <sighs> yeah. That was great. Made my day. Made my week. Yay. Absolutely. That was great. That really was <laughs> great, wasn't it? Um, okay. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you to our listeners. You guys, we do this for you. And if you enjoy our shows, we'd love a review on iTunes. So um, please go over there when you're downloading an app or something. You're there all the time. We would love a review. And if you have missed any of the past shows, you can also download them there while you're there or on Stitcher or Google Play. Absolutely. And Karen's first interview with us is very beneficial as well, explaining spore-based and the the origin of the spore-based concept. Um, so that's a great one if you love Karen. That per- first interview was amazing as well. I'm a big fan. I need to be a Karen salesperson. You know what I'm saying? I know. I know. Right? <laughs> and, of course, we are truly honored, like Dana said, to have Thro- Pro- Thrive Probiotic as our sponsor uh, for this show and uh, spore-based, very unique. Um, it's a game changer in health. So please check them out, thriveprobiotic.com. And Karen was also part of formulating and developing that product. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and Megaspore as well. So very important, thriveprobiotic.com. And make sure to follow Thyroid Nation on Facebook. And uh, we also have a Hashimoto support group. I should say, of, of sorts on um, on there. So check us out at Toshies and Graves. And uh, please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all those good places. And also, please check out Thyroid Refresh. We are here to help you simplify your thyroid lifestyle. We take all of the information that's out there and deliver it in bite-sized, digestible pieces to you to help you make it more manageable. It really is overwhelming, and that was our big um our big goal was to help simplify. So check it out. 
And I think you guys did it beautifully. Thyroid Refresh is an amazing platform. And pleasing to the eyes. My God, you know, thyroid disease can be very overwhelming. So it's very, it's, I know I keep saying that, but it's very refreshing for me. And I cannot be the only person, Dana, (laughs) that enjoys the colors and the simplicity of the articles. You know, these aren't, you know, exhaustive. And, And not only that, but you tell people. This is, on average, going to take you a certain amount of time to, to read. And for, you know, so many of us with crazy tight schedules, that is so, that's, I love it. I absolutely love Thank it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. And, you know, there, the, the articles are really expert written and edited and curated specifically for you guys. So it's not just, yeah, there's a ton of articles out there on thyroid. I have some on Thyroid Nation. I've got a lot. I've got over 600. Right. This is different. This is uh, this is completely different. This is so up the game. It, uh, it did. And it like stepped you it said, up. It takes out the overwhelm and mm-hmm. walks people through. It it has a very specific purpose. I I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. There's lots of good of videos, course. and of course, you know, there's mind mindfulness videos and movement videos and cooking videos. And breathing. And, and I want to do the videos. breathing one with Lauren. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so I'm excited. Looking forward to that. I just got my email. Yay. <laughs> Check it out. Thyroidrefresh.com. Um, yes. And of course, we hear it with every single guest that we have had to remind us that we are an individual. Our challenges are individual. Our nutrition is individual. Our microbiome is individual. So, wellness is a journey. And it takes continual maintenance and evaluation. You have to be paying attention. And I love the fact, you know, when he was talking about the microbiome, I just kept thinking about a mom pulling her three-year-old into a room and calming them down and saying, honey, listen. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's Mm -hmm. what intermittent fasting is for Mm -hmm. the microbiome. It's like the microbiome saying, okay, you need to just butt out for a minute. We we need to have an inside talk here. Heart to heart. We need to have a heart to heart. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so visual, it's scary. But this is really important. You have to be paying attention to your body. Your body will tell you. This is a built-in diagnostician. Much of our illness is because we don't listen. We listen to outside things rather than really consulting that built-in diagnostician. It talks to you. Make sure that you are paying attention. Please. And taking action. When you are listening, if it says, I don't like this food, I don't like this moment, I don't like this, I don't, listen. And And resounding. Information should resound with you, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a whole medical mindfulness for another show. Yes, it is. This has been fabulous. Thank you, guys. This is Dana. And Tiffany. Your Thyroid Nation Thrivers, bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Thanks. See you next week. Bye. Have a wonderful week. Bye.